Welcome to Modern Homemakers. It's another podcast and Donna is speaking on a series on the Psalms. So you'll want to listen. But here's an announcement for you. It's kind of a gift. If you're a regular listener of Modern Homemakers, we have a book for you. It's Living Life as a Loving Life as an At-Home Mom. All you have to do is go to our website Find our address, send your name and address, and we will ship you a book. And it's our gift to you this holiday Christmas season. So with that in mind, let's turn to the Psalms. Here's Donna. (laughs) Thank you so much. It's wonderful to have David in the studio in these last weeks of podcasting and working in the ministry. And the book, thank you. There's a precious woman who wrote the sweetest note because she's in a foreign country. And she said, could you still send me the book and I'll pay for the shipping. So we want you to know we'll pay for the shipping and we're happy to do that. We're so glad to have all of you who listen to us from around the world. We're closing in on the end of the psalm series. We're closing in on the end of the year. As soon as we're finished with psalms, we're going to be talking through the weeks of Advent by some readings from the Advent. We have for years provided you with materials for a daily Advent with your family, with yourself, some recommendations. But this year, we're going to end the season and end uh, the ministry's podcasting by reading some excerpts from Christmas. Christmas traditions. So come and join us. And lastly, on February 10th, yes, we're doing it. We've never done it in all these years. We're having a Homemakers by Choice Modern Homemakers reunion in the flesh, in the person on February 10th here in Phoenix or Scottsdale at Chaparral Christian Church. Look for more. And there's one more thing. Do you remember Crystal Goodman, the director of Modern Homemakers? Lovely woman. And she and her husband are a lovely couple. And we were privileged as a ministry to video a success story of staying. It's available on the website with their wonderful pictures on the front page of our website. Take some minutes Grab your husband's hand or your wife's hand, fix a cup of tea, and sit down and listen to what God has done in the lives of this couple because of their staying. Well, here we go. I want to read to you just a couple of sentences from Eugene Peterson's book on the Psalms. And I tell you many times my fondness for Eugene Peterson, but We've been talking about the Psalms and the poetry of them and how difficult it is to, for those of us who are not poetry-driven instinctively, our Enneagram numbers are very far from the poetry-driven numbers. But Peterson says, poetry is a language used with personal intensity. It is not so, as many suppose, decorative speech. Poets tell us what our eyes blurred with too much gawking and our ears dulled with too much chatter miss around us and within us. Poets use words to drag us into the depths of reality. They do, it, they do not do it by reporting on how life is, but by pushing 
and pulling us out into the middle of it. The poet he grabs for the juggler. Far from the cosmetic language, it is intestinal. It is not a language. Poetry not so much tells us something we never knew or brings us into recognition for the latent, forgotten, overlooked, or suppressed. The psalm text is almost entirely in this language. Think about that. For 150 psalms, we are drug into what is latent or forgotten or overlooked or suppressed. The psalm text is found in this kind of language. And I've said the word poetry and prose and uh, flowery words. And when I read this this past week, I thought, no, I need to go back and remind myself and all of us. It's not decorative speech. It's poetry is a language of intensity. That really speaks to my soul. It's probably why, as I said a few weeks ago, that I strayed away from the Psalms. I uh, wasn't so willing to enter into them in the fullness. So this is lesson two. There was an introduction and lesson one, and I would recommend you go back and listen to them. We are joining this series in the Psalms as we finish the work of 37 years at Homemakers by Choice and Modern Homemakers. This psalm is especially about praying the psalms or praying through the psalms to help you get a better handle on your own <coughs> prayer life. And I hope you're coming on this journey with us and will end certainly in your deeper understanding of praying the psalms for yourself. We live in a world that does not set our heart for prayer. Do you agree with that? We are not ready as are wrapped up in ourselves, uh, not a surprise. So our language for the culture, the culture of the world, is not the language of God or his word to us. We deal in speed, often pushing and shoving because we're in a hurry. We push and shove with our cars. We push and shove with our grocery baskets. We push and shove with our purses to get in a line. We have a hard time finding something in a department store because there are less workers. And so when we spy on someone who works for the store, we rush to them, hoping no one gets there first. We live in a world that crime and mass murders and rifles that are more like machine guns, making a fast buck, selling your house in 24 hours. I think so often when I see these commercials or hear or read this kind of conversation of Dallas Willard, who charges us to ruthlessly eliminate hurry. Yeah, sure, Dallas, but how? The TV is in a hurry. The drivers are in a hurry. The neighbors are in a hurry. I'm in a hurry. After all, I have so much to do. And I've come to believe in my own soul that a hurry world is a non-praying world. I have a young woman who I've known now for 30 years, and I was recently talking to her about the Psalms because when I study something, that's what I talk about for a season, uh, and I'm so grateful for the opportunity that I've had these years of teaching Homemakers by Choice and Modern Homemakers here on the podcast because I have learned much as I've learned to teach you. 
And I've recognized that this young woman who is talking to the Psalms with, she, she said to me, you know, the last time we were together, I went home and I put some things together that I was going to do every day until I saw you again. And then she rather sheepishly said, and I did it for four days. And now you're challenging me to go in and read the Psalms. And she looked at me, very, very precious face. And she said, I really want to do it. It just seems I don't get to it. So in prayer, we are quieted. In prayer, it is God-centered, not ego-centered. And it's not easy to move and be and travel in a very egocentric world like America is and go into our prayer closets, go into our private places of prayer. Talking to God like we're having coffee in a local coffee shop, yes, we need to be open and honest and real, always remembering we are communing with the one true Lord. But Psalm 1 and 2 help us get settled. All the Psalms were collected and arranged at one point in Israel's history. And then Psalm 1 and 2 were added. (laughs) We have a huge house being built in our neighborhood, just huge. Uh, it, It feels like it towers over all the other houses in our hood. It doesn't really. It's just new and modern and quite square, and it is pretty high and lofty. But I've been thinking about the hugeness of that house and watching it, and suddenly I could see through the fence that they had put a very quickly put-together staircase of wood, just looks like scrap wood, Bang, 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 two stairs, bang, 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 six stairs. And now you're at the ground going up into the house, to the first floor of the house. And I thought, oh, that's the entrance. That'll be where the entrance is. And as I was thinking about that house, I was reading this information about the Psalms 1 and 2. They were added. The Psalms were gathered and collected. And then 1 and 2 were added. They set up the entrance to all of the Psalms. We talked a bit about Psalm 1 in the introduction to this series. Psalm 1 is not only Psalm 1, but it is the beginning of the entire Psalter, the beginning of 150 Psalms. This introduction to the Psalms invites us to walk gladly with God. Psalm 1 shows the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. Again, as always, we see God inviting, not demanding not demanding. If you've been around in any of these 37 years, you have heard me talk more than once and are well acquainted with the Choices Matter series. But God gave me and you and all of us a choice. I had the hardest time with that. You know, people say, I don't understand how God can let people kill each other. I don't understand how God can do this or do that, or why doesn't God take care? I never questioned any of those things. I I had so few questions about God. I was very accepting of who he was. But when I got old enough to understand that all of this was a choice, a choice, and when I got small enough to recognize it was my choice, I, I could not accept that. 
I could not accept the grand and wonderful, all-powerful God giving me a dodo brain, me a human being, me with a beginning and an end that's very short. How could I get a choice about kingdom living and living with God for all of eternity. It just I just didn't get it. I just couldn't get it. And I was very quiet for years when people talked about choice. And then I began to understand that the only way that God could allow his creatures, his human beings created in his image, male and female, to love him, to rejoice with him, to worship with him, as if we had some equality in it. He created me. I had no choice in that. And then he gave me a choice to love him as the one and only God of the universe, the creator of me and everything else. He gave me a choice. And he gave me a choice to put him first or last or in the middle. And when people in my world who do not apparently have a faithful walk of Christ, you know, I don't see them carrying their Bibles. I don't hear them being kind and generous. I don't watch them going to church. I always come back to, that's not my business. Not my business. I know people like to say, yeah, well, you can tell them by their fruit. And I think there is some truth to that. But it's not my business to figure out whatever human being in my circle or people that I love, what their choices were. And so this Psalm 1 talks so much about my choice. 1 and 2 both help us to walk on the path of prayer, which is different than the path of the world that we live in day in and day out. We're invited to pay attention, to pay attention to what we do, what we say, what others do, what they say. We're invited to give adoration, attention and adoration. And who do we adore? Adore. We all have our own mindsets for going to the hairdresser for a haircut to get to go to someone's house for an evening. Very different when we go to our friend's house with seven kids or we go to our friend's house with just a couple. But the key word in all the things that I've talked about in these years, the key word to any organization is preparation. It's preparation. You want to get organized in your house. You want to get your purse organized. You want to get the car organized. You want to get your bills organized. Whatever it is you want to get organized. The key word is get prepared. Get ready. And what we're invited to do in Psalm 1 and 2 is to get prepared. Pay attention. Recognize there's only one person in the universe who deserves our adoration. Now, sometimes I say to my husband, because he's very sweet and very dear to me, Oh, I just adore you. But then I quickly say, you know, you know, theologically, I can't really adore you. And of course, he loves it when I say I adore him. He smiles broadly and pats me on the hand. Well, prayer is the same. We need to get ourselves organized. We need to prepare ourselves. Whatever is received is received according to the mode of the one receiving it. Are you ready for that? Shall I say it again? Whatever is received is received according to the mode of the one who is receiving that. Wow. I just say wow. And I think of all the times that I sat on the floor 
under my closet, under my clothes, in the prayer closet I had in our beautiful former home, in the places that I sit to go for pray, and how many times I sat not ready to receive, and then walked away thinking, okay, I did it. I, you know, I accomplished it. But I never felt, in all of the times, I didn't feel a sense of receiving. I didn't understand that my preparation, my purpose in being there was to pay attention and to adore the one who created me. Well, as I look into these Psalms, Psalm 1 says, happy or blessed. Happy is the one who... And Psalm 2 says, the last word, happy or blessed, are all of you taking refuge in him, nothing or no one else. The entrance to prayer is with the one true God. And they put all these psalms together, 148 of them, and then they tagged on one and two to prepare us. You think they knew that the key word to organization was preparation? Do you think they were trying to prepare our hearts for rest of these beautiful psalms that we have that talk to us about sorrow and delight and grief and murder and, and all of God's ways to manifest his love for us? I think they did. I think they did. Poor David. he He's always in trouble with God, isn't he? Uh, I wanted to put him in a, a, such a special place because, you know, after all, he was who God called and pointed out, picked exceptionally. And then I married a man named David. And I wanted in the early years to put David in the seat of God. And funny, he's such a smart man, he didn't want me to do that. <laughs> He wanted me to figure out these things on my own and how many times I'd look to him and I'd say, well, what about, or something to the effect of, don't you want to do this or don't you want to show me? And he was never rude. Well, almost never rude. But he always put it back on me. And in the introduction to this series, I spoke about Psalm 1 and 2, and God's word is sent from him to our hearts. Not all can pierce the heart, but God's word is aimed, intentional, and designed to be personal to each of our hearts. His word gets into our hearts and changes us, and we are never more the same. And my dear husband, he modeled what God was showing, although I didn't understand it in the early years. I just couldn't figure out why he didn't want to take responsibility for everything that I had to do with the Lord. He was sending me back to my own prayer closet. When I say we never forget it, 50 years ago, almost to the date, I read two verses in the book of Philippians, chapter 3, that changed my life forever, and I have never forgotten them. And he says in Philippians three thirteen and 14, Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. 
I had no heart set for that. I was sad and in grief, and I could not press on. I there was not. I did not want to leave that one thing. I wanted to wallow a little more in that one thing, and God's spirit led me to that passage, and I read it, and I've never forgotten it. It changes our heart, and when we read the Psalms, God's word. These words are like no other words, no reference books, no authors who you love dearly, no men who, women who you respect their words and how they practice their life and how they've studied the word. These words of God bring knowledge and information, and yes, they change what we think and what we do. Unlike God's word, decide to change yourselves from the inside out. God's word is designed to do that. Inside out, forgetting what lies behind and pressing forward. The Psalms are for those who concern and delight in him. The Psalms are heart words and heart themes. They are poetic and beautiful. They lead us to the depths of who we are. We meditate on them day and night. We roll them over and over, repeating them over and over. It's mental and heartful and pleasurable. As we roll over and over his words, the words of delight and courage. And I remember thinking, how many times do you read, read the Psalms? In some churches, liturgical churches, they read all 150 psalms every month. Now think about hiding those words in your heart. In Isaiah 31, uh, chapter 31, verse 4, it says, A lion over its catch is purring, growing in, in pleasurable anticipation of taking in what the lion needs to be strong and swift. His catch. He went out, caught whatever animal he is now devouring, and he knows, this lion knows, he, he, it's going to be pleasurable, and he anticipates it because he's going to be strong and swift as God made him. In Psalm 119, 31, 119 is the longest of the 150 Psalms, and in every verse there is a word that substitutes for the word of God. And he says, I will run in the way of thy commandments, the word of God, when thou enlargest my understanding. When I run into the Psalms, I have my understanding enlarged. Can you see and feel how this reading is different than a manuscript or using my intellectual process? His word seeps in, it goes deep, and there it revives and encourages us always. The tree is planted by the stream, as Psalm 1 says. It's being refreshed over and over as the stream runs by it, and it's growing stronger and stronger. Uh, we were with our family recently, our daughter and hus her husband and the two grandchildren, and as I told you early in this series, the whisper verse that Nana gave to my granddaughter is that psalm, Psalm 1, like a tree growing, like a tree growing. And I whispered in her ear and said, you are growing straight and strong. It's wonderful to have this little word to her without preaching to her or reading the Bible to her. When these psalms were made, they were a songbook. They were a moment they were put together. At the moment they were put together, the Israelites were in Babylonian exile. The land was flat, 
featureless. It had one river in it only. And as I was reading that little historical piece about Babylon, Babylon, I thought, well, that feels a lot like Arizona some days. One river, well, it's kind of a river that's a release from a dam, but it's one. The Israelites did not think they could pray. They were beautiful to the lush lands. They were accustomed to the songs they had written in the lush lands of Israel. They made a psalm, though, in Psalm 137, that says, How can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? I felt very weepy when I was putting those words on my paper for this podcast. How can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? I have a friend who lost her 32-year-old niece to cancer. Her niece has two grandchildren, two, two children, which are her grandchildren. How can she sing the Lord's song in a strange time like that? But we determined, and the Israelites determined, to sing, and they did. They sang the Psalms, and as they sang the Psalms, they found that the one true living God was in them, and in them he stayed. This reminds me of my early needs, and I still think I have today, that I want to be in a place that's quiet, with my books and my Bible, my journal, my favorite pen, uh, my comfortable everything. You get the drift. None of this is necessary. God is with me wherever I am. Almost two years ago, a dear friend's son, a policeman, you've heard me mention this through the last couple of years, was shot by a criminal and rushed to the hospital. They didn't expect him to live till morning. It's been almost two years. But in those days, we went to the hospital chapel to pray for Tyler. And I went every day. I went every day that he was in the hospital. I went every day. And it was not a quiet place. I did not have my favorite books or my Bibles. I did not have my journal. People kept coming in. I often prayed with other people who I'd never seen or would never see again. But when we got to the chapel, when we get to the place that we come to pray, everything we see, whether it's a tree or a bird or a brick wall, a person can bring, these things can bring us to his heart. When I go off on ideas and kind of construct what I want to create, and I want everything to look like and feel like, and I want the temperature of the room to be, I waste my time. I make my prayer time more distance. Psalm praying moves us away from that distance and distraction. The tree also reminds us of putting down our roots into him. And where's the best place we put our roots down into him but in prayer and the reading of his word? And then the psalm, the second psalm, which starts again with this meditation and repetition because they're the first two. They're allowing us to get ready for all the rest of the psalms that are coming and prepare us to be deep with, within the Lord. And the psalm 2 says that... <clears throat> Why do the nations conspire and the people plot? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and his anointed one. People plotting. The people are impressive and they are many and they are rulers. Do we have people like that in our world? How about your school systems? How about the government? 
How about the large corporate rules that the large corporations try to impose on the people of our country? Are they conspiring? Perhaps. But the tree pales by comparison. The tree that's planted with its roots to the water of God pale by all of those larger entities. And we submit ourselves to him. I found as I was reading and preparing how amazing it was to me to have looked the night before or the day before on my own television, like yours, about the war Hamas and Israel, our president and nation's leaders, and bigger and bigger and big and bigger, the rockets, the bombs, they're big and bigger. If you're like me, I know you are, we fall prey to the bigness, and it's easy to forget who's really in charge. Those leaders, those countries, those large associations that bring national leaders together, they are not ultimately in charge. God is in charge. And when we return to God in prayer, he enters into our memories and our heart. We read of men being anointed with oil and taking charge. When the world powers boasted of buildings and temples and libraries, it was all very impressive. When you read through the Psalms, you'll see some of it. God was not changed. He didn't become a different God. He was the same one true living God. And he took David, the scrawny one, from the big Israeli family and put him in the hills as a shepherd and established his sovereignty and then he anointed David to be the king of Israel. It worked then, and it works now. When the Messiah arrives, that's what happens. John 1, 1 tells us that in the Word was the beginning, and the beginning was the Word, and that was Jesus, the Messiah. And what did they say just verses later? Is this not the son of Joseph? It can't be the Messiah. Can anything good come from Nazareth? I don't think so. Peterson says to us two details that encourage the messianic imagination. We don't even use those words. One, it shows God laughing at the world's rulers. I don't think he's laughing like looking insidiously down saying, you, oh, oh, you're so silly, you don't understand. But it's laughable to him that we mere mortals try to be in control. When he who sits in the heavens laugh, the Lord has them in derision, Psalm 2 and 4. And God reminds us not to take the leadership of the world too seriously. And secondly, we are called to adoration in Psalm 2. Serve the Lord with fear, with trembling. Kiss his feet, or he will be angry and you will perish in the way of his wrath. Reject rebellion and serve and rely on God. He has called us to do that first. So these first Psalms set the stage for our prayers. His largeness and his ability to increase our range of belief into something larger than it has been. Praying the Psalms. The Psalms, a tool for praying. Psalm 1 and 2, every syllable is a gem that lead the pack of 148 more psalms to come. Nothing is lost. We allow ourselves to be trained by prayer. 
Psalm 1 sets the tone, becomes a tree planted and growing and concentrating our energy. Psalm 2 gives the power and strength to overcome the world in him, and we see the Messiah and get a vision of what he's going to do. He gets our attention. I found preparing for this lesson a bit overwhelming as we continue to watch the war zone, the pause, the hostages, the losses of lives, people, families being torn asunder, their life fortunes and places they live being reduced to rubbles. But I want to remind you, as I was reminded, God is ultimately in charge. That does not make him a bad God because these things are going on. That makes him a God who has given us choice to do whatever. Choose him or choose the way of murder and hostages and guns and war zones. We can wait with him or we can wait on our own. My encouragement to you today is that we wait with him. We wait with him and study and read and pray the Psalms, which remind us that he is God, and he is bigger than all the trials and all the trouble and all the sadness. And it's never too late with him. Remember, the common begin and the uncommon finish. Go out and make it a very uncommon day of reading and praying and waiting with God in the Psalms.